This is... Father, now we turn our focus to the scriptures again. May you be glorified in what we do and say. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the bulletin, there's a little uh, handout. There's one for Operation Christmas Child, but there's a little black and white one. Um, I, wanted to, I wanted to give you just a little bit of this so I didn't have to talk through it um, about uh, literary, uh, why literary style matters. Why when, we read it, when we're reading the Bible, you can't just read the Bible flat. Um, you just can't read it as this is just a straightforward report, you know, like a police report. Um, now, those of you, Jim's not here. Um, are there any other former police officers? Is Peter here? All right. Any other police officers anywhere? All right. So have you ever read a police report? They are the most boring reports of fact. Of ever. A Caucasian male, approximately 41 years old, five foot six, uh, entered the room, walked, the, you know, they go through the, you know, it's very mechanical. We have a tendency to read the Bible like that and not read it with the, the idea that the authors of this, all right, particularly the author of, of the Gospel of John, he's very careful in the way he presents um, this discourse. And so it's important, I think, for us to understand that there's a style going on. And so I just put a little uh, hand out there um, talking about the style of this. And you can read that at your own, uh, your own leisure. Um, but it, it's really, I think, fascinating when you, when you read in multiple dimensions, right? You, you start to think about, okay, not just this is what it's reporting, but why is it presented this way? And this is particularly true in the, in the New Testament, the Gospels, because um, the Gospels were recorded in Greek, but Jesus and the disciples spoke um, Aramaic, um, or uh, Aramaic, Aramaeo-Hebrew, it, it, like a dialect kind of language. Um, and so uh, they, because they, they spoke in that language, and then the Gospels are written in Greek. That translation period allows the Gospel writers to stylize, not change, not, not fabricate, but stylize the way that what Jesus says is presented. John has had decades and decades to think about this discourse from Jesus. And he's preached it probably hundreds of times. Um, and so as he's... As he's now coming into this discourse with Jesus, he's been, he's been recording more and more of Jesus' words. I want you to be aware of that. And so when you read the, the discourses of Jesus, when you read the Gospel of John, note things that occur over and over again, themes and ideas that come, occur over and over again, because John is doing something stylistically. He's, he's building, he's, he's structuring things so that um, not only is it interesting as a quote-unquote story, but it, it's engaging as it's moving us through uh, as a, a work of literature to a particular conclusion. All right, so John chapter 10, we're in John chapter 10 in verse 1, and uh, the flip side of that paper, by the way, is some things for you to think about. It's got some blanks. I cannot guarantee that I will say explicitly this belongs on the paper at any specific time, um, because I forget that stuff. Um, but as you're, as you're exploring this text with us, I want you to be thinking about that. And that picture down on the bottom, I'll get to that, but that's a sheepfold um, in Tybee, um, in Israel, what is, what's called the, the West Bank, the Occupied Territories, whatever you want to call it. Um, and uh, the little person in the front is my daughter, um, and she's exploring the sheepfold. I'm going to talk about that when we get in here. So John chapter 10 and verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, 
He who, who, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, the Greek word is parabolos, what we get parable from, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, he's going to clarify. And he parallels, he begins again, truly, truly, I say to you, in Greek, amin, amin, lego, chimin. I am the door of the sheep. All who come before, came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and doesn't care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down, for my li- lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Now, uh, I, I'm sure all of you are well-versed in the caretaking of sheep. Right? We, this is something we do all the time, right? We're, we're very devoted to our sheep um, in New England. Um, what do sheep eat? Grass. Uh, you know. Now, what do goats eat? Everything. Um, how do you tell the difference between a sheep and a goat? Um, one is eating grass. And one is eating everything else. All right, that's the difference between the two. Now, today, our breeds of sheep and goats, they look very different, right? You see a sheep, you know, bah, fluffy, you know, all right. Uh, sheep, you know, and then you see a goat, all right? And, and I mean, if ever, when you actually come face to face with a goat, is it any, any wonder that everybody associates them with Satan and demons? Now, their eyes are like upside down, like weird and horns, and when you, if you turn away from them, they do diabolical things. I mean, goats are, goats are uh, meant for eating. Um, and so, so, you know, we don't really do sheep that much, but, but in the ancient world, this was a very common thing. And what you would do um, is you had a sheep fold, right? Now, that's an English term, but, but you can see the picture. Uh, what a sheep fold usually was, was a cave. Um, Israel is full of these limestone caves. The, the rock in Israel just, it just makes caves. They use them for everything. They use them for the bases of houses. They use them for 
for graves. They use them for sheepfolds. They, use them, they just use caves for everything. They're just caves everywhere. Um, and you can see in the picture that I've got there, there's a kind of an overarching uh, cave. Um, and then you can kind of see some rocks and things scattered around the outside. So what a shepherd would do is um, during the day, the sheep would essentially all be... Um, they would all kind of graze on the same areas. And the shepherds would actually coordinate where they were taking their flocks of sheep to graze at a specific day, a specific season, so that they didn't overgraze any one particular area. But at night, the shepherd would bring his sheep um, to the fold. And the fold would be a cave like this one, and then it would have kind of a, an outside wall, uh, a bit of a wall out out beyond the cave um, as kind of a protection, and there would be one door. There would be one opening in that wall. Um, and if you were a wealthy shepherd, you paid somebody to stay with the sheep at night so that you could go and do your own thing, right? You could go home and um, eat a goat or something. I don't know what you were doing, but you were, you were, you were able to free. But most shepherds, they stayed with their sheep at night. Now, the, the most famous shepherd that we know about uh, from the Bible. If I said, who's the most famous shepherd in the Bible, you would probably say David. All right. Um, and, and the practices of raising sheep in the ancient world had not changed for thousands of years. This is what you did. This is how you, you did it. Um, and it was also the reason why people did not move around a lot. They didn't go, go decide to live somewhere else because that meant taking your sheep with you and it just wasn't going to work out. Um, so when he starts to use this idea of the sheepfold, he says um, only the shepherd can enter the sheepfold by the door. Now, there's a couple of reasons for this. And I, I, I want you to, to know there's more to this than just a shepherd. Uh, what animal helps shepherds herd sheep? Dogs. All right. Now, my dogs... They're Zushans, which are a mixture of Shih Tzus and Bichon Frise. Um, so they are, they are little things, all right? They're little, little mops that we groom from time to time. Uh, Wallace weighs 15 pounds and Blossom weighs 20 pounds. They are fierce. They are dangerous. Their teeth are almost this long. Uh, Tom refers to them as canine cats, all right? Um, they're, not, they're not very impressive dogs, um, but they're bred to be that way. Dogs descend from Asiatic wolves. And dogs are uh, actually extremely, extremely violent animals. Um, when, we were in, when I was in Central America, um, I, I, was, I, I discovered this. Um, in, in Honduras, San Pedro Sula, the town where we were, had just gone through, the this country of Honduras had just gone through a coup. And there were, the, the police had been replaced by the thugs. And really, what was the difference between the police and the thugs? It was which one was being paid by the government. Um, and, and so you were responsible for individual security in your home. So everybody had walls with like glass and barbed wire and stuff on top of them. You ever been to Central America? You know what I'm talking about. And they all have a dog. And that dog, the dog that they had at this house, she was the sweetest thing in the universe, this dog. She, she loved us. She thought we were great. Um, but at night, the owner of the house would put that dog outside and give a command, and he would say to us, under no conditions do you go outside at night. This dog will tear you apart. That dog's job was to kill and maim 
anyone who tried to get into that house. Come up over the fence. That, by the way, um, although he's, this is the gatekeeper. All right? Now, he's describing, he's using humanities, human terms, you know, this term of a gatekeeper. But that's, mo- for most shepherds, what you would do is you would get your, dog, your, your, your sheep into the sheepfold, and then you would give your dogs the command. And the dog's job was to kill anything that came near those sheep. All right? Now, you sit there and go, I don't think my dog could do that. How many have ever been to my house and seen the dogs across the street? They are the size of small ponies. They are massive, and they're not even as big as some of the dogs that are raised for this kind of thing. Um, they are big dogs. Uh, my, my, when I was working, when I was a teenager, um, we had, I worked at an orchard. I've told stories about this. And the orchard, the guy that owned the orchard had a dog that took down a 10-point buck. Uh, dogs, dogs can be violent things. So the shepherd, when he talks about the gatekeeper, he talks about the sheepfold, he talks about securing it, this is a big deal. This is something everybody would have understood. They understood what went into this, how it was supposed to work, all of these things. Um, And then he says, I am the door. Now for some of you, this may be old hat, but I need you to understand what happened in these worlds. The shepherd would get his sheep inside, get his dogs inside, and then when everything was secure, he would give the command to the dogs. They would go um, normally outside of the, of the sheepfold. They would guard from the outside. Um, and the shepherd himself would lay down in the doorway. And that was where he slept. With, by the way, his two weapons, which are his rod and his staff. All right? Um, and we read that and we're like, oh, it's pretty, it's gentle. It doesn't sound quite as bad if you change it to um, a big stick and a bigger stick, all right? And, his, and that was what he would do. He would lay down in the doorway and secure the sheepfold. Um, so when we read this, understand that Jesus is talking to people that know this image. They know this idea. Um, they, they understand what he's talking about when he says this. So on that level, they understand exactly the illustration he's using, the parable he's using. All right, I have sheep. The sheep are in the sheepfold. I've got the gatekeeper. Anyone who is not the shepherd, they're a stranger. The sheep won't listen to them. They won't hear them. I'm the door. I lay down. I'm the good shepherd. So notice I am the door. I lay down my life. All those things are fitting into that image. It's all fitting into the image. But here's the deal. Sometimes when Jesus is talking, especially when he's telling a parable, this is not about this. This is about that. So he's, what he's doing in this parable, what Jesus is doing in this parable is he's setting up an understanding of what it means to be the people of God. And, and the first question on that, on that handout that I gave you is what is the sheepfold? When he's talking about this, why is he using this? What is he doing? Where is he going with this? And, and what is he trying to, not only is what, what point is Jesus making, but what point is John making in the way that he records it? The, the sheepfold is the covenant of God. All right? Um, the Jews were big on the idea of a covenant. 
All right, that, that, that God makes a covenant with his people. And that covenant sets parameters, it sets boundaries, it sets borders. And within those borders, as long as you are in those borders, you are God's people, you are safe, you are secure. The sheepfold, this idea of Israel as a, a herd of sheep was actually a pretty common metaphor. Um, in fact, it, throughout the prophets, it's often described as sheep who are scattered over the hills, but the, the good shepherd will bring them together um, and gather them. And so Jesus is using a, a common idea. He's describing this idea of a covenant of God's protection, of God's promise on them. But then he starts to introduce all of these other people, all these other players in the situation. And I'm going to get to him being shepherd in the door. But when we read this, and we, we, we might read this and we go, okay, so we read this narrative and we go, all right, so um, uh, he is, he is, he's smacking them for being, uh, for being thieves and robbers, it's not really what Jesus is doing. But rather, Jesus is saying there are false shepherds. There are people that say they come in my name, but not with my voice. There are those that come in the name of God, but without the voice of God. And, and he's saying, you as sheep need to be trained to hear the voice of the shepherd. And I'm not saying you, not me. I'm saying you, the church. You notice that Jesus says that when the shepherd comes, when the shepherd speaks, they hear his voice and they obey. Do you know why sheep do that? Do you know why sheep know their shepherd's voice? And this is true, by the way. Um, shepherds will tell you that their sheep, they can have a mingled flock. They can have sheep from every flock imaginable. When that shepherd gives his particular call, his sheep follow. Do you know why? Because they're trained to do it. They're disciplined to do it. To hear the voice of their shepherd. See, when we talk about knowing the truth and discerning the scriptures and understand, we need to understand that that is a discipline. You can't just go to the Bible and go, with a free-for-all attitude and go, well, the Holy Spirit's just going to give me understanding of whatever I read. It is a discipline to read these scriptures. Now, they're available to all of us, but it doesn't mean that all of our opinions are valid. Now, that also doesn't mean, by the way, that the opinions of experts are necessarily right. In fact, I've spent most of my life reading experts going, where did you get that? Um, but the work, of, the work of being a sheep, it actually requires kind of realigning our thinking with the shepherd. And then we can hear the voice of the stranger, of the foreigner, who's going to mislead us. So, so what might we say, if Jesus is the door and the shepherd, um, what, kind of, of, what kind of strangers are out there trying to control the flock? of God. Go ahead. What? Robbers? Say? I don't, I still can't hear you. Wolves. Uh, we'll get to the wolves. Wolves are separate. Heresies? People in power? Parasites? 
false teachers, temptation. Um, The stranger is any voice that sounds like God if you don't think about it. Uh, it's interesting. You can a a a person can imitate the voice of their sh- of a shepherd, and the sheep still won't respond because they know their shepherd's voice. Their hearing is different from ours. It's a really interesting fact about them, and all of those things are true. I mean, we could look at it. We go, we go. All right. Well, in the church, right there, there there are strangers. I'm not even sure that the strangers are actually what Jesus is talking about. Are the people that are in the church? It's more those who want to lead us as if we are something other than. Uh, that, want to, that want to use Christianity for their own purposes. They want to take the flock where they want the flock to go. We have to be cautious about that. What about the hired hands? He describes these hired hands, right? He says, he says uh, you know, some, if the wolves come, the hired hands are going to run. Who are the hired hands, do you think? In order to hire somebody, what do you have to do? Pay them. What? All right, they're what? Bureaucrats. <laughs> hired hand who is, is, is somebody who does what they do because of what they get, what they receive from it. The, the prestige, the fame, the whatever. But when, when the rubber hits the road, when a crisis comes, they bail. Because who are the wolves? So who are the wolves? Those who come to feed on us. That, that um, they use us up and then let us drop by the wayside. Um... Years ago, years ago, I, I, I read and I, I went looking for it, but unfortunately I've got all my books packed up because I'm, I'm moving my office in the building. Um, at some point, I, I read a church growth book and I cannot remember who it was by or what it was about that talked about replacing leadership because leadership has a limited lifespan. And the idea was, well, look, you know, people come into your church and they become Christians and, and then they develop into leaders, but you need to understand they only have a limited amount of time before they're going to drop off the, off the map again. So you always have to have somebody else in the works to replace them because that person's going to drop off. And I remember reading that going, is that really how it works? Like, basically, we use people up and then they disappear. They, they discard, we discard them. Or are we supposed to be, are we supposed to be nurturing the flock so that it's, it's, it's growing and it's being transformed? Um, the, those, those wolves, those ones that want to come in and destroy us, want to wreck us. And of course, there's, there's one chief wolf, all right? Um, the, the great deceiver, the great accuser. Satan is the great wolf. He's the one who wants to really take us down, but he uses any number of different kinds of strategies and people and ideas. One of the things that I think is so interesting about this is that Jesus uses a metaphor that is not about us staying in one place and safe. Think about it for a second. 
He talks about the sheepfold and the Jewish leaders, their idea was let's, let's make the rules, let's set up the covenant, let's get it built and let's make it sure it's secure. We know what it means to obey and let's just all stay inside the sheepfold and then everybody will be safe. We won't have to worry about false teachers. We won't have to worry about wolves. We won't have to worry about being abandoned by hired hands because, because we will be secure. We will be safe. We'll be in the sheepfold. And yet, what does Jesus say? He says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door. When, you, when I'm here and I speak, what will happen? They will go in and go out. I will give them life more abundantly. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus is not interested in a defensive faith. Let's curl up and defend ourselves and make sure that nobody ever uh, upsets us, nobody ever wrecks our, our doctrine or our beliefs. Let's, let's lock ourselves down. Let's cut ourselves off from the world. But rather, he is interested in Christians who go in and go out under the leadership of the Good Shepherd. There is a theological significance to what Jesus is saying here. There is uh, an important aspect of what is happening because he says, not only are you in the sheepfold going in and out under the leadership of the good shepherd, he says, but there's also other sheep. So think about what he's saying. First of all, he's saying we're not having a defensive faith, right? We're not, we're not locking in. We want to go in and out. We want to have life more abundantly. But not only that, there are other sheep that are outside of the fold who the wolves are preying on, the strangers are stealing, the hired hands are not protecting, and I'm going to get them and I'm going to bring them into my flock so they also can live and go in and out and have life more abundantly. Now, who is Jesus talking about there? He's talking about the Samaritans and the Gentiles. He's talking about the non-Jews. He's saying the covenant, the sheepfold, is not just about you. There are other sheep out there. Now, why is this so important for John to make sure that his, uh, the, the, the second and third generation of believers that are, that, are, that are reading this gospel, why do they need to hear this? Because there is a tendency in religion, no matter how vibrant it is, no matter how great it is at the beginning, there is a tendency when we reach opposition to build up our walls, put up false doors, and secure ourselves so we don't have to deal with the problems, and we leave those who need the shepherd to the wolves. John says that we... As the sheep of the good shepherd do not have the luxury to abandon our responsibility as his flock. To go with him. To go with him. Because wherever the shepherd is, we're safe. Now, without getting into too much, I can't stand the way shepherds are depicted in family Bibles. David depicted as a little boy in a loincloth. I'm going to take down Goliath. Shepherds had a violent reputation 
in the ancient world. That, by the way, is what's so significant when, when Luke describes the angel going to the shepherds. They were considered, for the most part, uh, unclean and unworthy. Because their job was to do violent things to protect their sheep. That's what they were there. They, today, we would look at them, we would call them thugs, right? I call them watchdogs. That's what they were. They were paid to be burly and strong. And when you read David, and you read that David took on a bear and took on a lion, big deal, big Philistine giant. I mean, I got to be honest. If I had taken down a bear single-handedly, I would not be intimidated by most, most human beings. I... Just, I'm just going to be honest. Now, I'm not saying I could take on a bear. There's no earthly way. I would wind up being a snack. But um, David, David was a tough guy. In fact, he talks in the Psalms about how God had prepared his arms for war, that his, his muscles and bands and strength, and he was, he was formidable. The shepherd is formidable. The shepherd is powerful. But the shepherd leads and calls the sheep to go with him on his journey. We're, we're not supposed to just stay back in the sheepfold, cowering, waiting for the shepherd to come get us. The safest place for us to be is with the shepherd. So we're in the, in the, in the sheepfold. He's, he's the door. He secures us. But when we go out of the sheepfold, he still secures us. The theological idea that, that Jesus is presenting is not his opposition to the Jewish leaders. And we need to be careful that we don't read this as him criticizing the leaders. It was his call to his disciples to follow him. And he says, I lay my life down. Now somehow they missed this. He says it three times. I lay my life down. I lay my life down. I lay my life down. And yet when Jesus finally goes and lays his life down, they go, what's up with this? But look at what he says. Down at the end. I lay my, verse 17, I lay my life down that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. Here is the theological great idea about this. Right? Jesus, the good shepherd, he brings in the sheep, he secures them, he guides them, we go in and out with him, we're protected by him, he has other sheep, he brings them into the fold, they're protected by him, they're brought into the covenant, that's all fantastic, but in the night, when he lays down his life, when he is, what he's talking about when he says, I am the door, he's saying that my death and my resurrection are the security of the covenant of God. He is declaring himself to be the resurrected Lord of the church. And his, his laying down of his life and his taking up his life again is what secures us. Why do we as Christians spend so much time trying to answer all the problems of our lives instead of just embracing the glory and the power of the resurrection. 
He secures us against the griefs and the woes of the world. Yeah, we're going to face them. We're going to endure them. We're going to face them. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to be confronted. We're going to be challenged. We're going to be persecuted. But Jesus laid his life down and took it back up to secure us for the purpose of the work he has called us to be as his flock. And yet we spend our lives walking around going, you know, I, well, you know, it's, I, mm. We read the Bible waiting for Jesus to reveal himself to us. We, we, we fall asleep reading it, waiting, instead of just believing. The resurrection matters. And, and for some of you, this is old hat. You're like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. I've heard it a million times. The resurrection matters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus has died and buried and raised again. It is the only thing that matters. If Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, the Apostle Paul is right. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, we are a bunch of fools who should be shoved in the corner. He says that in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, we are to be pitied. Because we're a bunch of idiots if Jesus isn't raised from the dead. Everything we do, it doesn't matter if he's not raised from the dead. You say, why is that so theologically significant? You, if you don't think that's theologically significant, you might have missed it. This is the foundation of who we are. Why are we Jews and Gentiles brought together into the covenant of God? Because Jesus is the door of the shepherd who lays down his life and takes it up again. Why are we able to go out into the world despite the fact of the wolves and the false teachers and, and all of the things that are going on in the world? Why are we still able to go out into the world to endure those things, to preach the gospel, to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ? Why does that matter? Because Jesus died, laid down his life and took it back up again. Now, I'm just going to leave you with one last thing before we switch to communion. It is this. This last line here in verse 18. This charge I have received from my father. That word charge is the word commandment. Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. Right? He says, this is everything. This is everything. Without it, the church is nothing. The first question I always ask whenever somebody says, uh, I was reading so-and-so, this new reader, this new author or whatever. My first question, my first doctrinal question about any new author that I expose to is, what does he believe about the resurrection? What does he believe about the resurrection? And people say, they, they go around, they say, well, we're, you know, we're all Christians. We, we all should get together. Eh? Eh? What do you believe about the resurrection? What do you believe about it? It, it? it matters. It's tremendously significant. Because if we truly follow the resurrected Lord, then nothing in the world should stop us from doing the work of the gospel. Nothing should stop us from hearing his voice. And unfortunately, I think sometimes we forget about that. Now, we're going to come back to all this in a minute. Um, guess what their response to this, by the way, was? He's got a demon. 
They just cannot comprehend. They cannot understand. Um, you join me in a word of prayer. Father, I know in my own my own journey, my own faith at times, I am guilty of staying behind the walls. For not stepping out in faith that you, the good shepherd, are guiding. I just pray that as we, your church, seek to know you better, to revel in the, the joys and the, the struggles, the discipline and the celebration of walking in your way and following you. Lord, that in all these things, we might find faith and hope and the power of the resurrection. Not necessarily that we will be one, one day resurrected and so we have something to look forward to, but the power of what it means that Jesus was raised. As he laid his life down the door of the covenant and then took it back up, he has secured us for all eternity. May you be our all. Jesus, we pray this in your name by your Holy Spirit.